Hello and welcome to episode 51 where I review the papers and big headlines over the week and place the bets and headlines in their true context in a weekly podcast. And the first subject this week is climate change. This is in The Guardian. Green New Deal. Ocasio-Cortez unveils bold plan to fight climate change. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez is releasing a broad outline of a vision for the Green New Deal, a plan to battle economic and racial injustice while also fighting climate change. The new Congresswoman's Blueprint, co-introduced by Massachusetts Senator Ed Markey, aims to develop a carbon-neutral economy in 10 years, which would require huge strides in reducing the U.S.'s reliance on oil, gas and coal. It does not set a date for ending the use of fossil fuels. Specifically, the resolution says it is the duty of the federal government to craft a Green New Deal to achieve net-zero greenhouse gas emissions. That includes getting all power from clean, renewable and zero-emission energy sources. The document also endorses universal health care, a jobs guarantee and free higher education, a huge shift in messaging from nearly a decade ago when Democrats were advocating for a cap-and-trade system to limit greenhouse gases by allotting industry permits for pollution. 60 members of the House and 9 Senators are co-sponsoring the resolution, including several presidential candidates, according to a fact sheet from congressional aides that did not include a list of supporters. However, any legislation will be dead on arrival with Republicans in control of the Senate and the White House, and will be difficult for Democrats to implement even if they controlled government. In supporting documents, staffers acknowledge the investment required would be massive. Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi said a select committee on climate change, which she has announced the members of, will not be tasked with writing a specific bill and called the Green New Deal a suggestion. It will be one of several or maybe many suggestions that we receive, Pelosi said, in an interview with Politico. The Green Dream, or whatever they call it, nobody knows what it is, but they're for it, right? Well, some of us are not. There are environmental concerns we should be focusing on, but human-caused climate change is not one of them because it's not caused by humans, as I've said before. The article goes on. Discussions on what shape the plan would take also involved major environment, justice and labour organisations, as well as the youth-run Sunrise Movement. Backers hope the six-page resolution will push Democrats vying for the White House in 2020, not just to sign on to the general idea, but to lay out specific legislative goals. Some environmental groups, including Friends of the Earth and Greenpeace, said they were encouraged by the movement on climate change, but that the resolution does not do enough to confront fossil fuels. The Sierra Club, however, welcomed the document. Ocasio-Cortez, a Democratic Socialist from New York, who has been in Congress for just over a month, centered her campaign on climate change and the Green New Deal. But the resolution itself focuses on the tenets of a progressive policy platform as much as it does on climate change. It is both a framework for a cleaner energy future and plan for a large-scale mobilization that would rival in scale and scope with the progressive New Deal policies ushered in under President Franklin Delano Roosevelt in response to the Great Depression. One of its goals is to promote justice and equality by stopping current, preventing future and repairing historic oppression of indigenous peoples, communities of colour, migrant communities, deindustrialized communities, depopulated rural communities, the poor, low-income workers, women, the elderly, the unhoused, people with disabilities and youth. The resolution says significant portions of the American population are suffering from declining life expectancy 
exposure to pollution and lacking access to healthy food, healthcare, housing, transportation and education. It spotlights wage stagnation, lacking socio-economic mobility, income inequality, a racial wealth divide, a gender pay gap and weakened bargaining power for workers. The resolution text comes as Donald Trump frequently questions the science that shows humans burning fossil fuels are causing temperatures to rise and exacerbate extreme weather. He did not mention climate change in his annual address to Congress this week despite increasing warnings from scientists. Well, I don't agree with everything Trump says, far from it, but on this, he's correct. He's right to question dear that humans are causing climate change because they're not in the image of the elite's agenda. The article goes on. Democrats who hold a majority in the House are trying to raise awareness of climate change as an impending crisis with two committees holding hearings this week and a third to follow next week. But Republican lawmakers remain resistant to any legislation to limit greenhouse gas emissions. Republicans in dual climate change hearings called by House Democrats yesterday attacked the Asia unwritten Green New Deal, charging that it would be far too expensive and would worsen poverty. Ocasio-Cortez and her supporters say the strategy is designed to do the opposite, to create jobs in a green economy. Meanwhile, Trump's agencies continue to roll back climate regulations enacted by the Obama administration. U.S. carbon emissions increased last year, according to analysis by the economic firm Rhodium Group. Ocasio-Cortez elevated the Green New Deal when she joined activists at a protest outside the then-minority leader Nancy Pelosi's office last year. The activists are planning to protest at Democratic debates in an effort to ensure the proposal, which was until now largely a liberal rallying cry for action on climate change, is a prominent issue for the 2020 election. Before the text was released, several presidential candidates had already embraced the notion of a Green New Deal, including Senators Kamala Harris, Elizabeth Warren, Cory Booker and Kirsten Gillibrand. The former San Antonio mayor, Julian Castro committed to the plan during his campaign announcement. The Democratic Congresswoman, Pramila Jayapal, who is the co-chair of the House Progressive Caucus, Caucus is basically a group of people in the movement, and the sponsor of the legislation, said the resolution defined the scale and scope of what must be done to combat global warming. We really need an urgent and comprehensive approach, said Jayapal. Bollocks do we. The article goes on. Such legislation is little chance of becoming law as long as Republicans control the Senate and Trump is president. But Jayapal said Democrats would continue to lay the groundwork for a Green New Deal while pushing more incremental legislation. This is a moment for us to push a comprehensive view of the challenge before us, she said, and therefore to offer the solution that we need to address that challenge. The world has already warmed about one degree since the industrialization in the 19th century and is barreling towards exceeding a one and a half degree increase which climate scientists say will significantly worsen the risk of extreme heat, drought, floods and poverty. Already the process for drafting the brief documents has outlined the fights ahead even among progressives who want climate action. A background summary prepared by staffers said the plan sets a goal to get to net zero rather than zero emissions at the end of this 10 year plan because we are not sure that we will be able to fully get rid of, for example, emissions from cows or air travel before then. But climate justice advocates who represent the communities seeing the worst of environmental damages and pollution already want to quickly phase out all fossil fuels. Many also oppose nuclear power that uses mined uranium but represents a huge portion of the US's zero carbon energy. Angela Adrar, the executive director of the Climate Justice Alliance, a coalition of communities dealing with environmental problems, said her group supported the vision of the Green New Deal even though members were concerned about what they saw as loopholes to allow some fossil fuels use. 
Well, Ocasio-Cortez is just an expression of the clueless, progressive, regressive political mentality personified in the form of a political figure. Progressives as a whole are massively in support of taking action on human-caused climate change because they believe they're being radical by prompting governments to take action when, as a whole, they want to take action. It's the why is what needs to be addressed. It's like those young people who marched, understandably in the circumstances, or there are one or two of them I have my doubts about, for gun control measures and got invited to the White House. Of course they did, because governments want to take guns, as I explained in episode 9. Talking of protests but kids, here's an article in The Guardian. This just shows how ignorant journalists can be. The children skipping school are not ruining the planet. You are, as you can tell, it's an opinion piece. If there is one political subject that remains neglected and underestimated because of how we have for centuries run our societies, economies and families, then it is children. Although the experience and process of growing up has in many ways profoundly changed through history, our understanding of children has failed to keep pace. Nothing makes this clearer than the children's climate strikes. These protests involving school-aged children refusing to attend class to focus the attention of political leaders on the global climate crisis have spread from Australia to Germany, from Sweden to Belgium. But instead of taking them seriously, many adults, usually they're not exclusively old men in leadership positions, are still dismissing them with the utterly paternalistic argument that all these protests are nice and cute. But skipping school? Why can't the children protest in their free time instead of endangering their own education and their future, which we the adults supposedly have provided for them? Or how about not protesting at all because they're calling for society to be transformed in the way I'm going to explain and have explained before. The most absurd reaction has emerged from Belgium, where an environment minister, Joe Chauvelige, has been forced to resign after claiming that the Belgian children skipping school were being directed by unnamed foreign powers. Chauvelige suggested that the protests were a set-up and she falsely claimed that Belgian intelligence had knowledge that the children's actions were more than spontaneous actions of solidarity. There was a paternalistic dismissal of the school protest too from the Australian Resources Minister Matt Canavan who said in a radio interview that the action was setting the children up for failure. Walking off school and protesting, you don't learn anything from that. Well clearly you don't learn anything staying in school either when it comes to climate change outside of the official line. The article goes on. Meanwhile, consider an interview the German news magazine Der Spiegel did with Greta Dunberg, the 16-year-old Swedish mastermind of the school strikes movement. Well, she can't be that much of a mastermind if she believes the ludicrous official story of climate change without question. Who travelled 32 hours by train to get to Davos. Davos is a major political conference in Switzerland where the World Economic Forum meets and politicians and people in business and academics and others meet. And it's just another global organisation to coordinate the elite's agenda. It's very much like the Bilderberg Group, where top people from politics, business, finance, media, the military, etc., meet up regularly and in secret to coordinate a common policy, which is actually the elite's agenda. Some of them will know that, some of them won't, but that's what goes on there. Anyway, the article goes on. Thunberg, who travelled 32 hours by train to get to Davos, while the adults who were supposed to meet to talk about climate change there, arrived in 1,500 private jet flights. Yeah, because some of them know it's a load of bollocks. Human-caused climate change. So it doesn't matter what they travel in. 
The Spiegel journalists flew, although at least not by private jet, to Sweden just to meet Greta, and their most pressing question was who was really behind the girl who's become an inspiration for children across the world. Very good question. There may be nobody behind her, it may just be her, but it's a question worth asking. So after suggesting to the child that her speeches seem a bit too good to have been written by a kid, they then asked her directly who stands behind Greta. She patiently answered that she herself is behind Greta and added an important lesson to the journalists and adults. Some people claim that my parents have brainwashed me, but it was the opposite. I brainwashed my parents. I convinced them not to fly anymore and to stop eating meat. Well, the irony here is that the brainwasher is also brainwashed by the official story of human-caused climate change and those who are proponents of it. Some of them knowingly, some of them ignorantly. It's a very good question now. If strikes are happening in several countries around the same time, isn't it a good question to ask how that came about? The article goes on. When the journalist asked her whether she found it acceptable that tens of thousands of children were skipping school, Greta, fully aware that the school strikes were the only effective but also somehow traumatic part for most of the adults or world leaders, who were otherwise fine with co-opting the children's leader as a sort of entertainment at Davos, simply answered, you have to stop destroying our future. Irony again, human-caused climate change is a massive scam to destroy any future worth having because of the way that it's being used to transform global society. The article goes on. Faced with the same paternalistic complaint that children shouldn't be skipping school, 13-year-old US pupil Alexandria Villasena, who has started walking to the UN in her own climate strike every Friday, speaks in blunt terms. If we're not going to have a future, then school won't matter anymore. Well, you won't have a future if the changes in society that are being justified by human-caused climate change come about. The article goes on. She couldn't be more right, says the writer of this article. While in Belgium, tens of thousands of children have been skipping school to join demonstrations for action against climate change. At the same time, in another corner of Europe, the children of Macedonia have been forced to skip school because of air pollution. This shows that some children are denied school because of the way adults manage the world. Well, yes, there are environmental concerns we should be focusing on, but they're getting diverted by this climate change crap and environmental problems that are not actually caused by climate change blamed on climate change the article goes on what the children's protests are bringing back is a sort of universalism children in Birmingham also protesting about the future of the children in Macedonia but a much needed debate about the very notion of a common future for this reason we have to understand this wave of children's disobedience even skipping school as an attempt to literally take back time the future from a system that is founded on extraction not only of natural resources but of time in the future itself there's a very good point there because while technology like free energy technology that once it's set up that's the only cost ever which can turn energy in the atmosphere into usable warmth and power free energy technology which people like nikola tesla were demonstrating was possible in the early 20th century is being suppressed while these people are saying we need to cut down our carbon emissions to save the planet and bringing in carbon tax to help save the planet when technology that will overcome the need for fossil fuels already exists and has existed for decades because they don't care about the planet it's just an excuse to use climate change to justify transforming global society 
The article goes on. There is a wonderful children's fantasy novel published in 1973 in German with the full title Momo, or the strange story of the time thieves and the kid who brought back stolen time to humans, which deserves new recognition, not just because it actually imagined such children's protests, but because it offers a much-needed inversion of adults and children. It was written by Michael Ende, the author of the more famous The NeverEnding Story. Momo is not just a surprisingly accurate depiction of the world of acceleration and indebtedness in which we are living today, but a rallying call to resistance to young people. Now, it seems, the children's climate strikes are precisely an answer to the events that started to be unleashed in the 1970s and were best summed up by the famous Sex Pistols song from 1977, No Future. In an interview on German television in 1993, Ende predicted that the world was headed toward either an economic or an ecological catastrophe that we are in fact waging war against our children. Well, the best thing, or one of the best things we can do for children, is to point out that human-caused climate change is a scam to justify transforming global society in the image of the elite's agenda. To try to stop society being transformed in that way because it can only change as long as people believe the official line that humans are causing global warming climate change the article goes on the first war against our youngest citizens is the destruction of the planet which is the theft of their future bollocks the second war is the overreaction to the current children's protest it reflects our western cultural tendency to simultaneously treat children like pets sentimentalizing and infantilizing them while at the same time dismissing their concerns. The billionaire business leaders of Davos applauded the Swedish girl at Davos, but from the outside it looked like a sideshow, a piece of diversion, rather than anything that would really cause them to change direction. But what if the children today were considered the true grown-ups, and the adults who were leading the world into an ecological catastrophe, says the writer of this article, as they fly into an alpine resort in 1,500 private jets? to pay lip service to climate change because they know it's a massive scam or some of them. They could come in 5,000 private jets, it wouldn't matter. And some of them know that. And the adults who are leading the world into an ecological catastrophe as they fly to an alpine resort in 1,500 private jets to pay lip service to climate change were considered the spoiled and dangerous children. If we want to have a future at all, the children of the early 21st century have to be taken seriously and the adults should join their protests. Bollocks. You look at this Green New Deal, and it's basically Agenda 21, 2030 out of the United Nations. I've talked about Agenda 2030 in episode 36, and I've mentioned Agenda 21 many times here and there throughout pay-per-view. It's Agenda 21, 2030 under another name, basically, because human caused climate change is a scam to justify transforming human society in the image of Agenda 21, 2030. Agenda 21 was agreed at the 1992 Earth Summit in Brazil with Al Gore and his mate Murray Strong, who is a Canadian oil and mineral businessman and a diplomat who served as Under Secretary General of the United Nations, was there when Agenda 21 was agreed. And Agenda 2030 is basically an offshoot of Agenda 21. I've talked about human-caused climate change before in episodes 18 and 29. The United Nations headquarters sits on land donated by John D. Rockefeller Jr., an $8 million donation made in 1946. And the Rockefeller families are one of the top elite families in the elite bloodline 
global network, the less than 1%. The 1% is some people call them, I would say less than that. And that would never have happened unless the United Nations was set up to be an organisation favourable to the elite's agenda. An organisation to implement the elite's agenda on a global scale. The United Nations was set up after World War II and nothing justifies changing society on a massive scale like a war. And if it's a world war, then you can justify global change. Agenda 21-2030 is about deindustrialization because the agenda, as I've said before, is for corporations to run and produce everything, which is why we're seeing calls for privatization in the UK. NHS, rail travel, policing. Privatizing everything is the agenda because once it's privatized, you can then dictate who has access and who doesn't. And this is the agenda. Because anyone who does not serve the state as a slave will not get access to food, water, healthcare, travel, etc. So deindustrialization in favor of a corporate world is hugely beneficial to the agenda. Well, this article talks about depopulated communities. Agenda 21 needs depopulation to be achieved because it's about packing people in what it calls human settlement zones, which are also known as mega cities or smart cities in the mega regions. This is a global agenda, therefore it requires global depopulation. And the article talks about financial inequality and agenda 2030 calls for ending financial inequality globally which sounds like a great thing and it is except this is the last thing the united nations are going to do because the agenda is for financial inequality globally this is the hunger games society i talk about in episode four in many ways this focus on the gender pay gap which is disputed in terms of the extent of it is a diversion because in the end there will only be one gap and that's the gap between the elite and everyone else money-wise and I mean everyone else there's an article here about the Green New Deal in the Guardian there's an article here about the Green New Deal also in the Guardian a Green New Deal can give us the freedoms to allow humanity to flourish rubbish but I'll read the article anyway One of the biggest challenges of climate politics is that the solutions seem scarier than the problem. We worry that to truly decarbonize we need an authoritarian government or endless austerity. But a big and bold enough Green New Deal could finally make us truly free. Well, a couple of points there. One, human-caused climate change is a vehicle to justify a world government. And the Green New Deal is about anything but making people free. The article goes on. The principles that animated the New Deal are often associated with Franklin Delano Roosevelt's proposed but never fully enacted Economic Bill of Rights. These included rights to employment, medical care, housing, education and social security. Those goals are tragically unrealized for many Americans and any just version of the Green New Deal must start there. They're familiar goals for the left, ones we've been fighting over for decades, but we also need to rework another New Deal-era statement of principles, FDR's Four Freedoms. In the twilight hours of 1941, as New Deal progress stalled in the face of white Southern resistance to federal power, and the war against Hitler intensified in Europe, FDR sought to describe freedom in new terms. He was struggling to bolster support for his faltering domestic agenda and an anticipated foreign one. In the twilight hours of 1941, as New Deal progress stalled in the face of white southern resistance to federal power and the war against Hitler intensified in Europe, FDR sought to describe freedom in new terms. He was struggling to bolster support for his faltering domestic agenda and anticipated foreign agenda. The four freedoms were eventually mythologized and sentimentalized in paintings by none other than Norman Rockwell. 
We're not trying to reclaim American patriotism or generate support for a coming world war, but the task of reimagining freedom is critical. In 1941, the Four Freedoms idea was a bridge between the New Deal's unprecedented federal activism, pressed forward by a huge wave of labour and community militancy, and the wartime mobilisation that followed, whose speed and scale now inspired the vision of a Green New Deal. The right has claimed the language of freedom for decades, but their vision of freedom as your right as an individual to do whatever you want, so long as you can pay for it is a recipe for disaster in the 21st century when it's clearer than ever that all our fates are bound up together. Freedom has to mean something more than the capitalist freedom to invest or the consumer's freedom to buy. Here we modestly upstage FDR with five freedoms that can orient us to an uncertain future. Freedom from fear. FDR called for freedom from fear of military conflict. We're still working on his call for disarmament. We can start with the US Army, the world's biggest consumer of oil and a purveyor of fear worldwide. We must transform our built environment to grant us freedom from fear of the physical changes that already locked in global warming will bring. Fire and hurricanes, extreme temperatures, sea level rise and storm surges, and freedom from the fear that those dangers will grow exponentially worse. It also means abolishing the social disasters a volatile planet could exacerbate. We need freedom from food scarcity and water. We need freedom from food scarcity and water shortages, freedom from racist colonial and sexual violence and freedom from militarised borders. Freedom from fear means guaranteed jobs and homes so that we can survive every storm, every relocation and every reorganisation of industry. Well, that one is ridiculous. I mean, the idea that there will be an end to freedom from military conflict is ludicrous, especially given Britain and America's prominence and George Soros, a Hungarian-American billionaire, who I talk about in episodes 3 and 49. Israel also is fundamental to the foreign policy of the West because it dictates foreign policy of the West. I've talked about the reason for this in episode 49. And the world that is seeking to be brought in by the elites agenda using human-caused climate change as a justification involves limiting access to food and water to only those who follow authorities' orders and involves borders which you can only cross over into with permission. These are the borders between the megacities. One of the transformations of society in the image of Agenda 21 is deindustrialization, as I said earlier, never mind the reorganization of industry, and to have corporations running everything. Freedom from toil. We can't escape work altogether, and there's a lot of work we need to do immediately and in the long term, but work does not need to rule our lives. The great 19th century English socialist the great 19th century English socialist William Morris made a distinction between useful work and useless toil. We need the former but should free ourselves from the latter. We can escape the crushing toil of working long hours for low wages to make something that someone else owns. At present there's a lot of work that's worse than useless. It's toil that's harmful to the people doing it and to the world in which we live. But even useful work should be distributed more widely so that we can all do less of it and spend more time enjoying its fruits. Well... The megacities of Agenda 21, justified by human caused climate change, involves people doing jobs based on which megacity they live in, as each mega region will focus on a different specialization. And there's another level to this as well, which I'll get to when I read the next article this week, the next subject. Anyway, the article goes on. Freedom to move. We live on a beautiful planet that belongs to everyone. We should all be free to move around it. Freedom to move is particularly crucial for those whose homes are being rendered unlivable by rising temperatures and seas. But we should also be free to travel to enjoy our vibrant world's wonders. 
not as quickly as we do now. We can't all fly everywhere at the drop of a hat and some of us need to fly less often. But it's the reckless waste of the affluent that must end, not the ordinary person's occasional pleasure in discovering a new corner of the world. Free public transit is necessary to get around without relying on emissions, spewing cars and airplanes. The freedom to move also means the freedom to pack up and live in another city, region or country. To cope with inevitable climate displacements, we need solidarity without fences or walls. Well, the mega cities of Agenda 21 need permission to move between them, as I've said. And also, free movement plays into migration which is happening on the scale it is to erode culture and national identity, as I explained in episode 21. I talk about the historical and cultural revision we're seeing in society in episode 45. The article goes on. Freedom from domination. Liberals say the market gives us freedom to choose, but under capitalism, the market is mastered, determining what we can do and who we can be. Every year or two, we can mark a ballot paper. Every hour of every day, the compulsion of the market stamps its win on every aspect of our lives. The left has long sought to win the arbitrary power of the few over the many. We must continue to pursue freedom not only from toil but from the despotism of the boss, from a viciously enforced racial order and from the intimate violence of patriarchy. Now the outrageous power of the few threatens billions with ruin. Domination also names our helplessness in the face of global capitalism. We need to know it's possible to change our own fate, to be able to imagine the end of capitalism, more easily than the end of the world, but we must also let go of old fantasies of achieving freedom by recklessly dominating nature to serve human ends. Those dreams have turned into nightmares. We need to live on this planet with other people. We need to live on this planet with other people and species, with innovation, equality, care, and wisdom. We can all have freedom within the realm of ecological necessity. I hear people talk about capitalism or Marxism or feudalism and right and left and all the labels that come with that. But it's all bollocks. It's important to understand the state the right and left are in and their perspectives. But at the end of the day, all we need to know is that there's an agenda for human society and what that agenda is. And that, as I keep saying, human society is agenda-driven, not people-driven. It's not about what's best for people. Society is structured as it is because it's the perfect medium, the perfect setup to introduce the agenda and for control and manipulation, which allows you to introduce the agenda. And the different isms, like Marxism, feudalism, capitalism, etc., are merely vehicles for the agenda to be introduced. The elite don't care which vehicle works. They just want one which does. The only ism we have is cartelism if we have one at all. There's a media and entertainment cartel controlled by Zionists. I talk about Zionism, revisionist Zionism, elite Zionism in episode 10, as well as other episodes. A banking cartel owned by Zionists, pharmaceutical cartel, oil cartel, bio biotech cartel, food and drink cartel, etc. And these cartels are owned by the elite ultimately. That doesn't mean every organisation or corporation is owned by the elite, but the overall conglomeration in general is owned by the elite. The cartels are owned by the elite. And the idea in the end, as I've said before, is to have Orwell's ministries, the equivalent of Orwell's ministries from 1984, where you have one ministry producing or running everything in its particular area. So in 1984, of course, we had the Ministry of Truth, which was a great metaphor for the media and today social media. As I talk about in episode 27, social media is owned by Zionists. So there would be a ministry of food and drink, a ministry of healthcare, 
and Ministry for Law Enforcement, etc., on behalf of the world government, as is planned, the elite. The classic trait of capitalism is competition, but this elite network don't want competition because they want their ministries in place, not for profit, ultimately, but to be vehicles to impose the agenda and to produce their products and run their organizations in line with ways that suit the elite. And it says in this article here, the left has long sought to end the arbitrary power of the few over the many. This Green New Deal, Agenda 21-2030, under another name basically, and human caused climate change, are scams to transform society into total control by the few over the many. This is what I've said, human caused climate change is a vehicle to impose so much of the elite's agenda. Freedom to live. There is enough on our earth for people everywhere to have what they need to live well. Reusing, recycling, and most important, redistributing our abundance will open new vistas. The freedom to live includes freedom from want, plentiful access to the basics such as food, drink, shelter, health care, dental care, education, music, art, and green spaces. People are also entitled to the freedom to want. The freedom to enjoy life, to be creative, to produce and delight in communal luxuries, to soak up the public goods we create for everyone's pleasure, to love those we love and to find new people to love too. The freedom to live a good life spans the shared wonders of knowledge, leisure and adventure. Enemies of climate action warn of totalitarian dullness while the fossil industry commits crimes against humanity to maintain the privileges of a few. The point of a Green New Deal is to build the opposite, a colourful democracy for all to live through sun and storm. Well, if the elite wanted humanity to be free healthy and financially stable then they could organize it within a month if that they owned the global banking system for a start so that would help towards that goal just a bit their agenda is for the opposite however which is why we have the world we have and the society we have global society this is why we have the ludicrous money system we have which i talk about in episodes 5 and 23 which basically involves private banks creating and lending non-existent money called credit and charging interest on it. Money is the most effective method of control on the planet and the most widely used, obviously. When you look at the money system, as I talk about in episodes 5, 10 and 23, what we call credit figures on a screen, non-existent money, theoretical money, is actually a debt from the start. The way it works, if you look at the money system as a whole it's creating debt every day now again as i said earlier is the system structured that way because that's the only way to do it no obviously not it's structured that way because it's the perfect way to do it if you want control and debt equals control the world of this agenda i'm talking about is designed to limit access to the basics of life as i've said such as food drink shelter healthcare, dental care education music art and green spaces as the article talks about music and art are always being cut back in education as i talk about in episode 10 and 21 and green spaces well i've said already that agenda 21 involves people being moved away from countryside and vast tracts of land and into the cities the smart cities as they're designed to be and the smart grid is being built more and more all the time a global smart grid has more smart technologies used and more smart meters are installed and it's being built all around us and the idea is to cram people into the cities get people off the land and into the cities and this is of course where the depopulation agenda comes in because 
Of course, if you're going to do that, then there's only a certain number of people that can fit in the cities. And so, as I've said many times before, there's a depopulation agenda which is playing out in various ways. And Agenda 21, human-caused climate change is one of the biggest scams of modern times, if not longer, both in terms of the scale and coordination of the lie and the scale of changes being used to justify global society. It justifies virtually everything on the elite's agenda, and the reason the scientific evidence from many, many scientists who dispute the official line is not just to ensure the lie can continue, but also because were the lie to be exposed and the coordination of the lie globally, it would demonstrate that there can be coordination on a global level of a lie on the scale of human-caused climate change through governments, corporations, organizations, media, and front people to sell a lie to transform global society in the image of a very sinister agenda. And then the next question upon acknowledging this is how is this achieved? And as more and more is revealed, the eventual discovery would be that there is a global elite which works through various avenues in society to introduce a global agenda to transform global society, which is long, 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 long planned. So there's far too much at stake if the climate change light is revealed for what it is. And that's why it needs to be revealed for what it is. And the next subject this week is artificial intelligence. This is in the Express. AI fears workplaces most at risk from robot takeover revealed in shock research. Over the last three years, the demand for workers who have AI skills has increased by up to 119% according to research conducted by Indeed. Indeed found the number of AI-related jobs has doubled in the past three years. RS components analyze job postings from the world's biggest tech companies to determine who has the highest percentage of AI-related jobs. RS components are the leading distributor of electronic and industrial components. They are the UK, Europe and Asia Pacific trading brand of electro components. Their research conducted between September and November last year revealed Microsoft to have the highest percentage of AI-related job openings. Microsoft had 36% of their total job openings specifically for artificial intelligence. NVIDIA followed Microsoft with 33% of their job openings in that period dedicated to AI. The computer game company designs graphic processing units for gaming in professional markets, so AI allows NVIDIA to develop and process new games. JD came in third with 20% of the job openings dedicated to AI. In fourth place out of Google's 4,568 job openings, 18% were dedicated to AI-related roles. In fifth, Intel dedicated 70% of their total job openings to AI. Figures from the Department of Work and Pensions showed approximately 8,820,545 British jobs would be lost by the rise of artificial intelligence by 2030. Former Google executive Kai-Fu Lee recently told CBS's 60 Minutes he believes within 15 years AI will displace 40% of the world's workers. Mr. Lee told CBS, I believe AI is going to change the world more than anything in the history of mankind, more than electricity. Venture capitalist Mr. Lee used to develop AI for leading technology companies Microsoft and Google. The rise of new technology can completely wipe out a job. However, displaced workers can pursue jobs in other technologies industries have created. Well, that's not the idea. The idea is not that technology takes over and humans can then spend more time with free time or that humans will be able to pursue jobs in other technology areas. It's that AI takes over and humans are left to take what employment they can find. The article goes on. However, in Mr. Lee's recent book, AI Superpowers, China's Silicon Valley and the New World Order, 
He argues AI displacement will be different. Mr. Lee believes AI will allow new industries to be built from the ground up and be cheaper than employing humans. He said the displacement of workers and wave of automation will happen quickly because AI algorithms can be shared among world developers and business leaders. Algorithms are basically computer codes and once you've set the code, it runs on its own. While AI is posing serious threats to jobs and technology, it is also posing a threat to mankind according to an expert in AI. Research analysis lead for AI solutions within the transformative technology team at London-based global information provider IHS Market, Luca D'Ambrogi, said in 50 years robots will be able to support and replace humans in several things. Mr. Ambrogi told Express.co.uk, in 50 years it is reasonable to think that robots will be able to support and replace human beings in several activities. Already electromechanical devices outperform humans in sensitiveness and reaction time. Well, we are increasingly living in an AI society. And as I've said before, this is the agenda in the end. Human society and the human race, as we know it, are planned to no longer exist and to be replaced by artificial intelligence. As well as this, there's also the agenda which is unfolding more and more all the time to create a synthetic human race in a synthetic natural world. The synthetic human agenda is designed to play out further in the future than the robotic AI takeover, which, as this article points out, is happening now. And this is why we're seeing constant propaganda about gender and sexuality being aimed at kids and young people in school and entertainment because they're designed to be the adults when this synthetic human agenda is in full swing. Automation and robotics is increasingly taking jobs and this is happening for two reasons. One, creating the Hunger Games society where people are left to find their own employment in the face of the AI takeover. And two, creating the AI re-imaging of human society. An AI and robots controlled by AI society rather than a human society. The latter is the real reason we're seeing AI take jobs, and virtually no job is protected from this AI takeover of the jobs market. As long as a technological vehicle is in place, the AI can do virtually any job. The AI takeover of the jobs market plays perfectly into Agenda 21, because Agenda 21 involves people living in the mega-regions I mentioned earlier, and each mega-region will specialise in a different area. So if you live in one mega-region, you'll do a different job to someone living in another mega-region. You have no choice to refuse either as the AI takeover will ensure that people only do the menial jobs left behind after the AI takeover. People talk about migration and its effect on job opportunities for the native population, but the AI takeover is designed to take the jobs of both in every country and is far more wide-ranging in its potential capability for the jobs it can do, of the jobs it can do. One of the main jobs for robots will be the military and law enforcement which are designed to be fused into one. A military law enforcement, as well as a military in its own right, is the plan. In the end, a single world army dictated to by the world government. Which two companies are massively involved in developing these AI-controlled robots and drones? Google and Facebook. I talk about their role in all this in episode 16, and I talk about AI, robotic, military, and law enforcement in more detail in episode 39. Because Google, Facebook, YouTube... These are military organizations, in truth. Another aspect to all this is that when people look at robots and machines, they say they have no emotion, which is correct most of the time. But robots are now being created which have at least rudimentary emotion. Because emotion is an electrochemical process in the brain. And if you can create that artificially, then you can manufacture emotion. Would that mean robots would be 
protected under political correctness? Will they have rights? That's the debate that's happening now. Discussions are already taking place about whether robots should have the same rights as humans. This is not ultimately being done to maximise profit or even to create the Hunger Games society. It's about literally replacing and re-imaging human society into an artificial intelligence society and world. Planet Earth and its inhabitants are designed to be a complete inversion of what they are now. Instead of a natural world with biological humans, it's designed to be a synthetic world with synthetic, artificial, laboratory-created entities. I won't call them humans. Living in a technological, massively irradiated global society, controlled by artificial intelligence, robotics and automation. That's the agenda, and that's why, if people take notice of only one thing, I say on pay-per-view, take notice of this, because this is by far the most important subject in human society right now. I talk more about this in episode 11, which I've called The Last Temptation of Humans, because that's what it will be if we allow it to be. And the next subject this week is obesity. This is in the Telegraph. Shocking rise in obesity-related cancers among young adults. Rates of obesity fueled cancers are now rising in successively younger age groups, a landmark study shows. Experts said shocking levels of disease linked to growing waistlines across the globe threatened to reverse decades of progress in the war on cancer. The Lancet study shows that rates of obesity-related cancers are rising faster in adults aged 25 to 49 than in older generations, despite the fact cancer is seen as a disease of old age. The research, which examined 12 types of cancer linked to obesity, divided patients into five-year age groups from 25 to 29 to 80 to 84 years old. In six of the main cancers, including bowel, pancreatic and kidney disease, it was found that the younger the age group, the greater the increase in incidence. The major research used data covering more than half the population of the United States, but British experts warn that trends in this country where obesity rates are rising faster than the US means there is a similar threat to Britain's population. The study led by the American The study led by the American Cancer Society considered thirty of the most common cancer types and tracked trends among those diagnosed between ninety five and twenty fourteen. They included twelve cancers linked to obesity as well as eighteen other types of disease where no such association has been found. While rates of most of the obesity related cancers saw a sharp rise in younger generations, outpacing the rise in older generations in six types of disease. No such trend was seen in the other types of cancer, where rates either remained stable or fell. For example, while annual rates of bowel cancer fell by 3.65% in those aged 80 to 84 and by 2.96% in those aged 60 to 64, they rose by 2.41% in those aged 25 to 29 and by 2.38% in those aged 30 to 34. Rates of pancreatic cancer continue to rise in all age groups with an increase of 0.88% among those aged 80 to 84 and 0.79% among those aged 60 to 64. But this was dwarfed by the rate of increases in younger groups with a 4.3% rise among those aged 25 to 29 and an increase of 2.5% in those aged 30 to 34. And while rates of kidney cancer rose by 1.67% among those 
aged 8 to 24, they increased by 6.23% among those aged 25 to 29, the figures shown. Younger groups also saw higher increases in the rise of incidents in womb cancer, gallbladder disease and multiple myeloma compared with older groups. Researchers stressed that it remains the case that cancer is far more common in older age groups, but they said the trend showed the alarming impact of the obesity epidemic. While the United States has the highest obesity levels in the world, the UK's levels have risen by 92% since 1991, compared with a rise of 65% in the US, making it the sixth fattest nation in the developed world. Two in three adults in the UK are overweight or obese, along with one in three children leaving primary school. Researchers said the findings published in the Lancet Public Health Journal on World Cancer Day suggested the trends could halt or reverse decades of progress achieved in lowering cancer mortality. One in 20 cases of cancer in the UK are linked to excess weight. In some cancers, excess body weight during early adulthood could be a more important influence on cancer risks than weight gain in later life, researchers found. Tam Fry from the National Obesity Forum said there was a time when type 2 diabetes used to be considered a midlife disease triggered by our obesity epidemic. But that has all changed with young adults and even children's lives blighted by the condition. Shockingly, if the same is happening with cancer in the US, it could already be happening here. Such a discovery could negate our own recent advances in treating cancers, but until the NHS seriously begins to screen for obesity, as recommended by the study's authors, we may not know. Dr. Amadine Jamal from the American Cancer Society said over the past few decades, death rates have been in decline for most cancers, but in the future obesity could reverse that progress barring any interventions. Younger generations are experiencing earlier and longer lasting exposure to excess fat and to obesity related health conditions that can increase cancer risk. She said the burden was likely to increase much more as the younger generations aged when cancer is more likely to develop. Lead author Dr. Hayuna Sung said obesity is associated with health conditions that can contribute to the risk of cancer. For example, diabetes, gallstones, inflammatory bowel disease and poor diet can all increase the burden of cancer. She said a deterioration in the quality of the diet of younger generations was likely to be fueling the rise. More than half of adults who were 20 to 49 years old between 2010 to 2012 reported poor dietary habits such as eating little fruit, vegetables, whole grains, fish and shellfish at the same time as eating too much salt, fast food and sugary drinks, she said. Well, when you look at food, is it any wonder that any of this is happening? As GM food, which is designed to genetically modify us and affects DNA, food allergies have come from GM food. A scam that's played with GM food in Britain, where crops and GM food have to be labelled, is that animals are fed GM animal feed. Not all of them, of course, but a lot of them. And then when people eat a meat or dairy product from an animal that's been fed GM animal feed, then the GM material crosses over into humans. It's obviously nothing like the same as if the animal or food itself was genetically modified, but the material crosses over just the same. I talk about GM food in episode 26. There's artificial sweeteners in food and drink, like aspartame, acesulfame K, sucralose, and others. Aspartame is an excitotoxin, a neurotoxin, basically. Anything with neuro in front of it means concerning the brain. And over a period of time, it excites brain cells and destroys them. It stops the brain working to full capacity. Childhood behavioral problems begin with aspartame and such like because of the effect the aspartame has on perception and reaction. It's not a behavioural problem that is developed naturally, it's the effect of excitotoxins on the brain. 
a patent confirms that aspartame was actually formulated from the excrement of genetically modified bacteria. One of the obvious goals of manipulation of food and drink is to dumb down the population. Think about it. If you were an elite and you wanted to keep the population dumbed down and you wanted to affect their health, how would you do it? Food and drink would be an obvious place to start and chemicals in the water. And that's where sweeteners, artificial and non-artificial come in. I talk about artificial sweeteners in episode 37. Fructose is a common sugar in the human diet, but there's a sweetener called high fructose corn syrup, which has been linked with liver conditions, including what's known as non-alcoholic fatty liver disease, which is caused by liver cells processing too much fructose or refined sugar, also called sucrose. The liver uses fructose to create fat in a process called lipogenesis, as fructose is a carbohydrate. There's nothing wrong in moderation, and you only get tiny amounts of fructose from fruit. However, high fructose corn syrup or sucrose can lead to the liver processing too much in a build-up of tiny fat droplets, which looks just like the build-up in the liver of an alcoholic, hence the name non-alcoholic fatty liver disease. If this goes on for too long, it can develop into an inflammation of the liver, which, if severe enough after too much inflammation, can lead to cirrhosis, which is an accumulation of scar tissue, which leads to a degeneration of liver function. High fructose intake in this way has also been linked to diabetes because of its effect on blood sugar. High fructose intake increases cholesterol. This, we're told, is to be avoided. We're told to avoid high cholesterol. However, I've talked about cholesterol in episode 29 in a very different way. Energy drinks contain sucrose. A government consultation linked to the government's childhood obesity strategy questioned whether energy drinks should be banned from being sold under the age of 16 or 18. The main reason for the ban is the higher level of caffeine in the energy drinks, which has been linked to a string of health problems, including head and stomach aches, hyperactivity and sleep problems. Of course it's going to be linked to hyperactivity as caffeine. I've talked about energy drinks in episode 32. This is an article from upi.com. Sugary drinks can change muscles in a month. This is from July 2012. Sugary drinks lead to alterations in muscles similar to those in people with obesity problems and type 2 diabetes, researchers in Britain said. Dr. Hans Peter Kubis of Bangor University in England said the research showed regularly drinking soft drinks changed the way muscles use food as fuel, making them prefer to burn sugars over fats. This study proved our concerns over sugary drinks have been correct. Not only can regular sugar intake acutely change our body metabolism, in fact it seems that our muscles are able to sense the sugars and make our metabolism more inefficient, not only in the present but in the future as well, Cupis said in a statement. This will lead to a reduced ability to burn fat, leading to increased weight gain. Moreover, it will make it more difficult for our body to cope with rises in blood sugar. What is clear here is that our body adjusts to regular soft drink consumption and prepares itself for the future diet by changing muscle metabolism via altered gene activity, encouraging unhealthy adaptations similar to those seen in people with obesity problems and type 2 diabetes. The study, published in the European Journal of Nutrition, found the switch to an inefficient metabolism was seen in the participants who were likely active, lean male and females drinking soft drinks for only four weeks. Together with our findings about how drinking soft drinks dulls the perception of sweetness, our new results give a stark warning against regularly drinking sugar-sweetened drinks, Cubis concluded. Also, we have radiation food. Microwave ovens use microwave radiation. I know that sounds obvious, but the point is that microwave radiation is also the same. It works in the same frequency band as Wi-Fi radiation. 
and I talk about the effect of technological radiation on the body in episode 44, part 2. And there's an article here from the Daily Mail about microwave radiation. This is from March 2016. The simple trick that reveals if your microwave is leaking radiation. From home kitchens to canteens, microwaves are staple appliances that many people use completely unaware of how they work, but it may panic some users to discover that the metal boxes of radiation aren't quite as self-contained as first thought. A video has revealed a simple trick to determine if your microwave is leaking using just two mobile phones, but don't worry, even if it is leaking, it's unlikely to cause any harm. That's what the mainstream media always says. The video was produced by San Diego-based YouTuber Physics Girl. She films herself placing a phone in a microwave and calling it, thus demonstrating that the oven's protective casing is not impervious to radiation and that signals can still pass through. In a series of simple experiments, the video also shows data and Wi-Fi signals can pass through the oven's protective casing, suggesting that small amounts of microwave energy can escape. Microwave ovens cook food by using long-wave radiation to make the water molecules inside food vibrate with this energy transferred to heat. The kitchen appliances can only zap food with energy when the door's locking mechanism is engaged and the power is on, but damage and disrepair can increase the chances of leakage. Mobile phones emit radiation on the same spectrum as microwaves, but the wavelengths are longer. In the video, Physics Girl places the average frequency for microwaves at 2.45 GHz, which is <laughs> Wi-Fi range while mobile phone signals are typically 1.9 GHz or 0.85 GHz. <laughs> Wi-Fi is within that microwave range. The experiments show that in addition to the phone ringing with standard signal, it was also able to receive FaceTime calls over Wi-Fi when inside the microwave. This demonstrated Wi-Fi radio frequency signals can also pass through. And it says later on in the article, Exposure to high doses of longer wave radiation, including mobile phone signals, Wi-Fi and microwaves, can potentially cause health issues. It can. Some experts have even warned that children's exposure to Wi-Fi should be limited, but the jury remains out. Well, the jury remains out for people who have not done their own research and looked at the evidence outside of the mainstream official line. And it says exposure to longer wave radiation like Wi-Fi, but the frequency also needs to be taken into account. Yes, the length of the wave is important, but so is the frequency. And microwaves and Wi-Fi work in the same frequency range. This radiation, not just from microwaves, but from Wi-Fi, totality of radiation that we are bombarded with in society, as I talk about in episode 25, affects not just people immediately subject to it, but it also carries down the generations because of epigenetics, which means health and perceptual changes in a person's body are passed on down the generations. For example, today's created, manufactured member of Generation Snowflake becomes tomorrow's born snowflake. That's how epigenetics works, basically. I talk about DNA in episodes 11 and 24. DNA is targeted in various ways. I talked in episode 24 when covering a story about bus lanes, about the global structure of control and manipulation through which the elite implement their agenda, and corporations are fundamental in this process. Corporations, especially the giant ones, are basically satellite organizations of the elite's agenda, and they introduce the agenda in their subject area. For example, Monsanto's subject area is seeds and biotechnology, so they operate in that area in a way that suits the agenda. They create terminator seeds, as they're called, which only last one season, meaning you have to buy more for the next season. 
when regular seeds supply the seeds for the next season naturally with the crops that grow from those seeds. But terminator seeds are perfect for the agenda because it's a great way to get growers and small landowners out of business and into the cities. Coca-Cola make chemical cocktails called soft drinks full of aspartame and other chemicals which affect perception and health. It's not just for money that these corporations are corrupt, ultimately, but because they're satellites for the agenda. Just as the corporations are assets of the elite global network, so too are the food agencies like the Food Standards Agency in Britain and the Food and Drug Administration in America, which are there to enforce regulations on the corporations. It's all one network, ultimately. These are government agencies, and as such, they're just front agencies for the agenda. This is why you'll get health organizations, official health organizations, saying mobile phone radiation poses no risk to health, Wi-Fi is no risk to health. And the reason they say that is because they are a risk to health. But because they're satellite organizations of the agenda, they say they're not. And then you get smaller organizations and smaller businesses and smaller corporations taking advice from those organizations, which have said there's no risk to health. This is how it works. And council is the same. And then the public look to those sources for information about what's safe and what's not safe. And they never get told about the vast body of evidence and information and studies saying the opposite. The media just repeats what these sources say and one of the other scams that's played is they'll say that there's no evidence to prove smart meters or 5G is a risk to health and the reason for that is because they've never been tested. Smart meters and 5G have never been tested so how could there be any evidence? And if they were tested that would be the end of smart meters and 5G. I talk about smart meters in episode 17 I talk about 5G in episodes 12 and 20. This is why people doing their own research outside of the official line and sources is so important. It's not just food that is manipulated. Even food packaging, like the lining of certain food cans and other packaging, contains a chemical called bisphenol A or BPA, which has been linked to cancer, which has been linked to cancer, birth defects and obesity. BPA and another chemical called BPS, also widely used, are also on teal receipts. Why? Because everybody touches teal receipts. Apparently, trying to wash your hands with a hand lotion after handling a teal receipt to get rid of the BPA or BPS can actually be worse. It's recommended to wash with soap and water, but then water has BPA in as well, so there's really no escape. Hand lotion makes the rapid absorption of BPA into the body through the skin much quicker, because it goes into the skin quite quickly. I talk about BPA in episode 3. When you put all this together and you look at the fact that we are increasingly living in a more and more toxic world, which I talk about in episode 25, you see that it can't just be ignorance. There is a level of ignorance, which is doing the manufacturing and the rolling out of food and drink toxins and technological radiation. But the scale of the introduction of toxicity into society and the fact that scientific evidence is ignored and dismissed means that it's not ignorance it's an agenda if it was ignorance the scientific evidence pointing out these effects to health and perception would be acknowledged in the public arena and acted upon but they're not why because of the agenda people would say it's just for profit and that level does exist but there's an agenda reason and that's the depopulation agenda which connects into the smart cities agenda of agenda 21 as I explain in episode 11. As I keep saying, to sum this all up, society is agenda-driven, not people-driven. Not people-driven.
And the final subject this week is libraries. This is in the Express. Save our libraries, schools and pleas to parents as money runs out for books. Council cuts mean primary schools across the country have launched online pleas for help. The Daily Express has launched a Save Our Libraries crusade calling for a national rethink on the funding of our public libraries. It has already won widespread backing from politicians, celebrities such as Katie Piper and Richard and Judy, as well as library users. Alison Tarrant, head of the School Library Association, yesterday warned that the crisis could affect pupils' mental health. We regularly hear from schools who have no or very little budget and so unfortunately parents and carers are being asked to contribute. It's concerning because it means school libraries are now filled with old-fashioned second-hand books which just are not diverse enough. Pupils struggling with their gender, sexuality or mental health are therefore unable to seek solace in new books which are more inclusive and reflective of the modern age. More politically correct is what she means. Fundraising websites are now awash with schools hoping to raise money for their libraries. English Martyrs Catholic Primary School in Rugby, Warwickshire, has a crowdfunding campaign involving a staff member doing a skydive. <laughs> but that would be amusing to see, especially for the kids. At Upminster Primary School, Essex Library, volunteer Catherine Meek put out a plea for modern books, including the Harry Potter series. A recent study by the National Literacy Trust revealed that children who don't use or have access to school libraries suffer from lower mental well-being and lower literacy rates. There's another article here, also in the Express, from January this year. Children's library books vanishing from shelves. The volumes have disappeared from public libraries amid drastic budget cuts and branch closures across the country. The findings uncovered by the Daily Express are revealed amid growing concerns over declining opportunities for children to pick up books. Campaigners said the dramatic fall in book stocks could have a devastating impact on learning for future generations. The research carried out by the House of Commons Library comes as the number of books available in libraries across the country has been declining at an alarming rate in recent years. Slashed last March, it was revealed that almost a fifth of book stock has been lost over the previous seven years. Stocks in England fell from 78.4 million volumes in 2010 to 2011 to 63.2 million in 2016 to 2017, a reduction of 15.1 million, or 19%. The new figures show the number has now fallen to 61.5 million after cash from public libraries was slashed by £30 million and 127 branches were shut last year. The Daily Express has launched a Save Our Libraries crusade and is now calling for urgent action to protect services. Last night, Shadow Culture Secretary Tom Watson, who was backing the Daily Express's campaign, said public libraries are paying the price after council budgets have been cut to the bone. He said no child should visit a library to find empty shelves. Library staff and volunteers work hard to provide the best possible support and services. This government's austerity programme undermines their efforts. Nick Paul of the UK Library and Information Association, SILIP. SILIP is the Chartered Institute of Library and Information Professionals. Said cutting the quality and quantity of books in libraries risks being this government's equivalent of Thatcher cutting free milk in schools. It might save money in the short term, but slashing book budgets means that many kids, often the most disadvantaged, have fewer opportunities to read and learn. We must reverse the current picture of chronic underfunding in local libraries to enable them once again to become the palaces of reading and literacy that everyone deserves. Diana Gerald, Chief Executive of the UK's largest children's reading charity, Book Trust, said reading is so important to children. 
Children who read for enjoyment do better at school, are better communicators and more confident and have more resilience. We want all families and children to have access to books so they can develop a confidence around reading and enjoy stories and pictures from the earliest age. Libraries are also an amazing place for families to discover stories, rhymes and more. Laura Swaffield, chair of the charity The Library Campaign, branded the declining children's books short-sighted. She said, choice of books is absolutely essential for children. The service is being cut in many ways. They are cutting staff, they are closing buildings, they are dumping libraries onto volunteers. And buying fewer books is certainly something they're doing. The article goes on. The number of children's books has declined by more than 26% in certain parts of the country over the past 12 months. The east of England has been the hardest hit area, where more than 200,000 volumes are no longer stocked on shelves. The total is made up of 115,000 non-fiction titles and 88,000 works of fiction. The Ministry of Housing, Communities and Local Government said last night local authorities have democratically elected independent bodies that are responsible for setting their own budgets and managing their resources. We are investing in Britain's future by providing local authorities with £91 billion over the next two years to meet the needs of their residents. Well, this story is a classic example of the ignorance and myopia of the mainstream media. The media report that libraries are closing and massive numbers of books are not appearing on the shelves at the rate they used to appear. But they don't see why it's happening, the true context. This is the agenda to digitise books and information in general. Because once content is digitised, then it can be edited or deleted instantly. Ebooks are all part of this agenda, as I talk about in episode 39. The article says parents are being asked to contribute books to the school libraries, but they can only do that as long as books exist and libraries exist. And as generations go on, books and libraries won't exist anymore if this continues. So parents contributing books is great, but it's only a short-term solution at best. More people reading physical books or continuing to buy and read physical books is one obvious solution to the problem, much longer term one. I prefer physical books myself anyway. The smell, the fact you can actually hold it in your hands. I feel the same way about CDs and vinyl. Being able to hold the record in your hands and the booklet and other inserts, if there are any, inside and the artwork is all part of the experience of owning a CD or vinyl. And it's a shame that they too are being digitised more and more now. There's no problem with digital copies, as far as I can see, as long as physical copies exist. Books are obviously a great way of preserving historical and cultural information and preserving the historical record and charting progress, not least different ways of thinking and knowledge through the decades and generations. This is being destroyed by the PC mob, as I explain in episodes 13 and 45. And as the phrase goes, if you don't learn from history... You're condemned to repeat it. I've heard it said that as part of the transhuman technological agenda, which this whole smart cities agenda is all part of. The idea, as I explain in more detail in episode 11, once human minds are connected to a technological hive mind, is to start at year zero, basically start again with human knowledge, and we can see this being moved towards. I'm not saying that is the agenda. I'm just saying I've heard it and it seems very plausible given what's happening now. Amazon plays its role in this agenda. Amazon started out as a book publishing company before becoming an online retail giant selling virtually everything. I mean, what doesn't Amazon sell? Amazon is deciding not to publish certain books. A lot of books 
are published through Amazon and this decision not to publish certain books is all part of this agenda to remove access to any information which could challenge the official narrative and expresses alternative viewpoints. We see that agenda playing out with social media, as I said earlier, and the idea is for everything to be digitised only, meaning only books or information which either don't challenge the official narrative or which support the official narrative will ever be published and circulating. This is all part of a much bigger picture which the media never sees because they only see changes in society and world events in isolation and thus they don't have the true context to make the connections to see the picture. And that's what pay-per-view is all about. This story is also another classic reminder that society is agenda-driven, not people-driven. As I say, society is structured so that the agenda comes from the elite right down into the local community. And so if defunding libraries will achieve an agenda goal, then libraries are defunded. It's as simple as that. Councils decide to fund them less and that decision will be made above them. This is how it works. And it doesn't matter about the kids. They're irrelevant. The fact that kids have less books to read and libraries are closing, so what? It doesn't matter because society is agenda-driven, not people-driven. People think society is money-driven, and on one level it is, but ultimately it's agenda-driven. The main stories I've covered in this episode all relate to human-caused climate change in one way or another, and the changes and introductions into society, which I've talked about in this episode, which are justified by human-caused climate change, are what those campaigning calling for action on human-caused climate change are calling for. And in their calling... They are just giving government, authority, organisations and corporations more encouragement to introduce them. This is why getting informed and being streetwise is so important. The kids marching and campaigning, it's great that they want to make a difference to the environment, but if they get streetwise, they'll realise to turn their attention to other genuine environmental problems rather than getting diverted and calling for the building of their own prison. It's all down to information and seeing the context and connections, and that's what pay-per-view is all about. So that's it for this week. That's the news, that's the context and connections, that's pay-per-view. More to come next week. Until then, goodbye.